This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. In this world, there are more stories than stamps at the post office. Some are forever. Some are commemorative. Some are stuck together. Oh, come on. But they're all worth the proper postage required. So open your lick hole wide and listen. Welcome to Brushtown Stories, episode 23, from the diary of Bernard Glouch, the noodle of truth. From the diary of Bernard Glouch, world traveler. After the armistice was signed, Chapman Heath and I headed to the island of Formosa. Getting east was no easy task, as Europe was in shambles. We were stuck in a morass of paperwork and raising funds, so we didn't reach Asia until the twenties had already begun roaring. Our original goal had been to decamp in China proper, but in the years following the Boxer Rebellion, mainland China had become inhospitable to foreigners, and there was no way we would pass as Manchu. This island Formosa, or Taiwan as it's now called, would have to be our de facto base of operations. We were still trying to find the Ark of the Expulsion, an ancient artifact that contained the first defecation of Adam, and with it the seeds of the Tree of Knowledge, which grew in Eden. Apparently, Scabalus Christian pilgrims during the Tang Dynasty brought the Ark to China. They were fleeing persecution from a warlord of the Western Turkic Khaganate. Unfortunately, the stele stone announcing the arrival and early history of the Skababalists in China was in the old royal city of Chenang, deep in the Chinese interior. The best we could do was decamp in Taiwan and hope China softened its stance on visitors. The island of Taiwan itself was currently under Japanese occupation, and while white men were not trusted or liked by the authorities, we were tolerated as long as we brought business or money. Japanese soldiers would often harass us in the street and shake us down for bribes. The locals weren't much better, but we found rooms in an area of the city carved out by Westerners who also found themselves on the island, though at night we often felt angry eyes watching us from the shadows. During one of our forays into the antique markets of Taipei, I mentioned to a merchant that I was looking for toothpaste artifacts. The seller suddenly became quite nervous and told us we had to leave. He was quite rude. I found few merchants who would even discuss tooth-related objects, but I pressed on, as I was doing vital research into the ancient history of the dentites. In fact, I had learned my artifacts from the Near East and Old Silk Road would be displayed the newly refurbished Mouthatorium, a true honor, though Mother was still hoping I'd return to Indiana and continue the family line. Later, I returned to the market, and a man selling rice from a wooden cart approached me, yelling directly into my nose. Now, I have been yelled at by many people for a myriad of reasons, some known and some unknown, but this 
was different. Not just because his gums were stained red and he had a complete absence of teeth. Lack of teeth was not uncommon as modern dentistry had not brought the full weight of its talents to this region. But rather it was the way he screamed and pinched me that filled my gallbladder with dread. In truth, this wasn't the first toothless person to accost me in Taiwan, and it seemed to have only increased in the past few days. Suddenly, and without warning, the seller began to throw handfuls of rice at me. He then clacked his red gums, which I took as aggressive posturing. I tried to appease him via unthreatening gestures, but nothing seemed to placate the man. Suddenly, I felt a warm hand on my back. A woman appeared in a long green dress and gold earrings. I remember the earrings well because they seemed to glow in the dim light of the market. Her words were sharp and direct, and even though the words were alien to me, I felt as if those musical sounds were a spell of protection around my shoulders. The seller threw up his hands and walked away. I'm sorry, she said in perfect English. The world has become a strange place. Her hand slid down my arm. She smiled. I've seen you around. You are interested in old things. I smiled. I have many interests. My name is Pai Han. Come to my shop and have some tea. Let me show you that Taipei is a city of hospitality. We are not all rice-slinging brutes. She turned and walked back down a small alleyway, not even looking back to see if I'd follow. I was supposed to meet Heath for Guabao, but her confidence was so intoxicating that I followed after her. Her shop was more a small alcove in the alley filled with bronze trinkets, but there was a small room in the back with simple wooden furniture. We talked generally of Taipei and the weather as she steeped the tea. I felt as if the conversation flowed freely, but it seemed I was talking a great deal about myself, and she remained a sphinx with many a secret. She poured the tea. Her black eyes watched me intently as I blew the steam from the cup and took a small sip. To your liking? She asked. Very good, I replied. Eventually, the conversation turned to my dentite heritage and quest to find ancient dentite artifacts. She seemed very interested in anything tooth-related. This was a welcome change from all the merchants who shut down on the mere mention of a molar or bicuspid. She poured me several more cups of tea as my throat was getting itchy from talking so garrulously about dental practices. After a short while, Pai Han smiled. My head was starting to hurt. I am surprised the tooth of heaven has spoken to you, she said. China is a storied empire. But you Americans are so new, so untested. It's odd. Well, I said, a bit woozy now. You're one to talk. You really should have done more about the mongrel. She laughed. You are a strange creature. I always find it so strange talking to Kwailu. You're as odd as a talking sheep or a ghost. I'm not a ghost, I said, somewhat hurt. She smoothed out her dress as she stood. I tried to stand out of polite courtesy, but fell back into my chair. Don't struggle. She said, you see, the tea was poisoned. I have, I, I have, I tried to remember what I wanted to say. My friend, my mouth was suddenly dry as cotton in August. Don't worry about him, she said with a cat smile. We already have your friend. Pai Han went on to mention those men with red-stained gums and no teeth were all under her command. She was the head of the Yachi cult, a tooth-based oriental nouveau religious order. My tooth talk and hunting for artifacts had attracted their ire. In fact, it seemed the whole notion of a white man worshipping the tooth was disgusting to them. Pai Han sat next to me and stroked my hair. Don't fight the poison, 
she said. She cradled me like I was a scared little dog. My body trembled as my muscles twitched, no longer under my control. I found a deep sense of comfort in her touch, like when I sat in a particularly well-appointed couch in Prague talking to an elderly rabbi about the possibilities of tooth golems. He was against the idea, but I told him about the demon I'd met in a cave. He dismissed this too. Why at this moment was I remembering this story? Perhaps it was all of my life swimming before my eyes as I drowned in the wine-dark sea of poison. My mouth opened and closed with no regard to want, and then... But before that, I shall attempt to relate the history of the Yachi cult as best I can. The island Taiwan, as I previously mentioned, was currently under the control of the Japanese. This has caused several political headaches that I shall not bother discussing. But in the early years of the occupation, there was a famed chef who cooked beef noodle soup. This soup is quite famous throughout Taiwan and is quite delicious. Like most Americans, I usually prefer bland fare, but this was the sort of soup you could dress up and bring to an affair hosted by the Rockefellers or McMenamins, and the soup would so delight them they'd introduce it to their daughter and possibly arrange a marriage. It's that good. And it was said the premier chef of this bovine brew was named Sun Yang Ting. He was also a Taiwanese liberationist who abhorred the Japanese. His unsuccessful efforts to expel the empire of the rising sun from his homeland caused him to fall into a deep depression. He prayed to a god or a spirit. I'm not sure exactly. My grasp on the religions of the Far East is sadly lacking. In any event, he prayed to something. And for eight days, he fasted, taking no food or water. He even closed his famed noodle shop. His regular customers banged on the walls, crying and rending their clothes. But Yang Ting would not budge. Then, on the ninth day, he went into the kitchen and made one beef noodle, imbuing it with all his passion, his tears, everything. His whole life to that point was funneled into that one perfect strand of pastatic perfection. Then either he started making a broth or he was about to. The story has several variants, one including a species of golden weasel that rode some sort of... In any event, the chef lost his grip on the noodle and it fell to the floor. Yang Ting was devastated. He'd worked so hard on this noodle. But then he saw the noodle had fallen and coiled itself into a shape. Not just a shape, but a word. The Chinese letter and word for tooth, Yachi. And as he breathed the word, he was struck by the vision of a thousand multicolored soldiers riding eight-legged horses around a warrior tooth clad in enamel armor, carrying a dental pick like a spear. This tooth spoke to him in words made of lightning and punctuation the sound of belching dragons. Then, in the time it takes a cow to moo, he was back in his kitchen. The noodle limp, but still curled into the word for tooth, Yachi. After which he formed a cult. The male followers removed all their teeth and then stained their gums red with the juice of the beetle nut. This nut was also a narcotic and was said to bestow heightened strength and energy. They worshipped this vision of the tooth, which they called the heavenly tooth of divine blessing. But I believe this to be the Ur-tooth. But they seemed to misunderstand its message. While we dentites followed the true way, 
These heretics believed teeth needed to be removed. They kept all their teeth in a large altar and would burn money in honor of the heavenly tooth. Eventually, Yang Tin died, and Pai Han became their new leader. She was devoted to the will of the heavenly tooth. And while I admire devotion, twisted though it were, I certainly didn't like the fact that I was poisoned. And as I sat gasping on that wooden bench, Pai Han looked down at me. Her perfect lips whispered words that I couldn't understand. Maybe because it was in Chinese, or maybe because my ear canals had swelled shut. Either way, the very shape of her words comforted me even as I was then swallowed up in blackness. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. Looking to get out of the ads and back to the story? Fable and Folly Plus is a new way to support the creators you love. The podcast you're listening to right now and more than 60 others can be heard ad-free for as little as $4 a month by visiting fableandfolly.com slash plus. And now, Fall of the House of Sunshine is offering episode commentary to Fable and Folly Plus supporters, still entirely ad-free. Fable and Folly Plus. Sign up today at fableandfolly.com slash plus. Oh, but do not worry. I didn't die. If I did, I would not be able to relate this tale, unless I was doing so through some spiritualist or ghostograph. But no, I can tell you as of my writing this, I am very much alive. But when I blinked awake, I was in a darkened room, tied up in rope, next to Heath, who glared at me. He blamed me for our situation. If he hadn't taken up with some tooth-obsessed rascal, his words, he'd not be in such a tight pickle. I tried to defend my honor from this besmirching, but I was still coming out from under the poison's power, so my argument was mostly incoherent and involved a good bit of drooling. Paihan interrupted our tiffing and said that the heavenly tooth demanded a sacrifice, that we were sinners against China against God, against all of the world as they saw it, that my perversion of the faith was a slap on the enamel of all the Yachi cult stood for. I said she was, well, several words I'm not so proud of and shall not repeat, and that she was the heretic because the Urtooth reached out to Horace McMenamin and the Brothers Brule long before this usurping slurping noodle chef. But my exegesis of toothly liturgical matters was silenced by the realization that we were surrounded by nearly 100 saffron-robed, red-gummed fanatics, all wielding knives of various lengths. Let's call it a draw, I offered regarding our debate. Pai Han, though, wanted to finish the conversation with knives and copious stabbing. So in one great unified movement, all of the cult held up their blades and advanced toward us. Brushtown Stories is a Roy Gold production. It was written by Jonathan Goldberg with music by David Riglieri. Bernard Glouch is James Kennedy. Find out more about the show and cast at podmusical.com. Find out what happens to all of your favorite characters on season two of The Fall of the House of Sunshine, coming March 2018. Find out what happened at the end of the fuzzball game last night on Season 2 of The Fall of the House of Sunshine, coming March 2018. 
Thanks for listening, and have a suntabulous bicuspid of a day! The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.